What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Wednesday, October 11th, 2023. As always, I am PK alongside my co-host, Phil. Phil, uh, I don't have much of an intro planned. Uh, I know that both of us are doing much better in fantasy. We're both lined up for another week of wins, and it looks like, as of now, we're hopefully safe in the guillotine league as well. So, uh, solid week for fantasy, bad week for Buffalo sports. I mean, it ha- had to happen at some point for uh, for both fantasy and Buffalo sports. You know, at some point they had to inter- intertwine, and I-, I don't think we can have one without the other. So it's either going to be good for the Bills, bad for us, or bad for the Bills, good for fantasy. So, I, you know, it might just be kind of the year we're looking at. If our fantasy teams do well, well, expect bad things from the Bills. And uh, we'll dive into the Bills. But remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Buffalo Sports Co. And uh, X, I'm going to start trying to call it X instead of Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com. And look for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. Phil, I don't know about you, but I woke up nice and early. By early, I mean I think I was out of bed by like 9.20. I let the dogs out, let them in. And then went back to bed for a while and then had my alarm set for 920, got my bowl of cereal, sat down in front of the TV, and I didn't realize that the best part of my day would be that cereal because it was all downhill from there. I love my one o'clock games, Phil. I'm indifferent about the 930 games, and they left a bad taste in my mouth mouth because uh, the Bills lost 25 to 20 versus the Jaguars, and it was both emotionally draining and just infuriating yeah i butcher that word but uh just the the play on the field and everything else that happened with the field the the drama about leaving so late to get to um to england with the the um uh what do you call it the um when you're when you're traveling uh delay no the um uh time difference um oh. i don't know why i can't i'm blanking on this whatever the the, the, <laughs> the uh, i'll think of it eventually the uh the the time difference and having to adjust there there's a word for it and i don't know why i'm blanking on it but there there was that whole conversation there was a feel the conversation about the the turf field where it wasn't in good shape because there was divots where the the turf was trying to meet each other which I found out mid-game that they do have grass field, and I don't know why they weren't playing on that. But, Phil, take it away. Uh, what happened on Sunday morning that was good or bad? I, there wasn't much good for me. Yeah, um, I got up early and uh, was ready for the game. Went to Tim Hortons beforehand just to grab some some Timbits to have a little snack. And the first one I went to didn't have any sour cream uh, Timbits, which I like quite a bit. So I went to... A second one, and the second one I know is always busy, but at this time, obviously for the Bills game, I expect it to be a little bit more busy, but the like the the line for the drive through you couldn't even pull into the parking lot of the Tim Hortons, even if you didn't want to use the drive through And then I saw somebody try to walk in the building, and they couldn't even walk in the door because the line was right there as well. And I was like, all right, well, we're just not going to do that. So I got a different assortment of, of Timbits, I guess. And then, so it started well for me as well. I was uh, getting ready and sat down enjoying some Timbits and 
The Bills started the game on defense how they like to start the game, which is really slow, allow the other team to score a touchdown and then usually shut it down from there. It seems to be their MO recently, and it started like that again, so I wasn't too worried. And then, similar to you, it uh, it all went downhill from there. Although, for a 9.30 game, I did have from 1 to 7 to fix an upstairs shower for me in the, in the house, and I replaced some... Valve stems and uh, the shower head stems, so that gave me a solid six-hour window to fix it before bed. So I did enjoy that. That was that was nice. Had it finished at four, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Wouldn't have been able to complete it one day. So I did have that as far as the nine thirty game. But as far as the game goes, um, really hard to watch. And for what this team is and what we know they can do, especially coming off, literally Josh Allen had a perfect game in the last game, first one in a lot of years. I think it was 08 maybe was Tom Brady's like last perfect game. Um, it was a long time. And so just knowing what this offense can do at any point in the game, I feel like because the defense was keeping them in it for so long, you just kind of kept hoping at some point it would click. And even if it was an ugly win, they'd still get the win and, as the game went on and got closer to the fourth quarter and they started making a little bit of a comeback, I I didn't want them to lose, obviously, but I was at the point fresh like just being upset about what I was watching that I I they deserved to win at that point. I think I wanted them to win for the defense and what the defense was doing and what they were going through, but as far as the offense goes and the team goes, I didn't think they deserved to win as the fourth quarter kept kind of going on and the more that they fail in the fourth quarter I was like all right well you don't deserve this win anyway maybe this loss will uh, you know give you a little bit of a reality check because I don't I don't understand how the offense can go from a perfect game shellacking of Miami who's a better team than Jacksonville and then come into this game and just put up what they did. Uh, the word was jet lag, Phil. Um, oh, all right. All right. Yeah. I was like, time yeah. difference when you had that. I was like, all right. Yeah. No, time difference is correct. I didn't know what you, yeah, jet lag. Yep. That, that's, uh, yeah. that's, yeah. A thing. that's what that's I was, a thing. I couldn't figure out for some reason. I, it was on the tip of my tongue and I just couldn't figure out what it was and it was going to drive me nuts. But yeah, you're looking at the offense and some of the numbers actually look good. I mean, Allen threw for 359, two and one. He was four for 14 and one on the ground. So his numbers look good. D- Diggs, eight for 121 and one. Davis, six for 101. But after that, it's just like all fluff. All those numbers are fluff to me because the offense, th- there shouldn't be a single person out there that tells me that the reason they lost was because of the defense. The defense kept them in that game for how stinking long, Phil. It was unbelievable. And the offense just couldn't do anything. It was like, have you ever seen like Shaun of the Dead? Like the movie Shaun Great of the movie. Dead. Great movie. Yeah. The offense looked like the zombies in Shaun of the Dead, where you could literally could just run by them <laughs> and not have to worry about them. That's what it looked like. The only one that actually had any passion out there was Diggs. I mean, I, they kept he's saying on the broadcast. the only that, one who has yeah, the passion he, out there for some reason. They just kept saying that he was the only one like pumping up the defense and pumping up the offense and trying to get, get people going. And, I'm not blaming the jet lag whatsoever. I'm not using that as an excuse. You and I both traveled to Italy. I'm not saying that we ever went and played football. But what, after one good night of sleep, you were good? Like you were adjusted. How how can a national football team do this? Like how can you go over their professional athletes and, you know, it's it's a six-hour difference, I think it is. It's not that huge of a difference. Like I'm not putting that as an excuse for the offense. Offense is the reason they've lost this game. And it's not solely on one player. It's a collective just failure. 
Here's here's the drives. They they started the game with two three and outs, then a six play punt, then a four play punt. Then they did have an 11 play touchdown, but then they came back with two four play punts, a four play interception. Then they went on a little run here, nine play TD, four play TD. And then the final play of the day was Diggs trying to make something happen, flipping behind his head. I don't even care about the fumble, but the, the offense, 54 plays to 82 for the Jaguars. Jaguars had the 82 time of possession. They had just over 38 minutes. The Jaguars did. Buffalo had just under 22 minutes. And then the penalties. I am not blaming the refs whatsoever. Yes, they were ticky-tack all over the place. But then you know, they were 11 penalties for 109 yards. I mean, the only one that I think they got wrong was Jordan Poyer, and that's a bang-bang one. But if you look back, it's like, what are you going to be doing because the the wide receiver is falling back? What do you expect Poyer to do? And then the third downs, Buffalo was 5 for 12. Jaguars for 10 for 18. It's just the offense just let down a defense that was just playing such handicap. And we're going to get into that in a minute, but there were big drops by Davis. There was a big drop by Knox. There was a big drop by Cook. All those drops ended the drives. And then, yes, again, Dorsey does deserve some of the blame because some of the play calling, I think it was they hit Diggs on a Diggs or Davis on a long gain. And then you ran Cook up the middle. And then you ran, you, you pitched it to Murray trying to make something happen when it was third and long. And then you had to do that one. It's just, it was, it was honestly, it's, it, it was an embarrassing game to watch. And it was just so frustrating because the defense is just playing out of their mind. They're missing more than half of their starters, even starting to go into the game. They already didn't have Greg Russo. They already didn't have their two starting cornerbacks in White and Benford. And then you lose all those guys mid game. It's just, what are you supposed to do when your defense is just balling out and your offense can't get anything going? It felt so much like the Miami game last year. And I think it was week three where players were just dropping like flies and the offense had all these spectacular numbers. Like Allen was thrown for what close to 400 yards, but they just couldn't score. And that's kind of what it felt like this a little bit worse than this one. It's just, I'm not blaming the turf. I'm not blaming the jet lag. It's just the offense was just, it, it, they were horrible. It was one of the worst performances I've seen them play in a long time. Yeah, and I, like you said, it's not solely on one person by any means, right. but even Allen, who's supposed to have this cannon of an arm, missed digs wide open twice, twice for walk-in touchdowns, and he just underthrows him. And yes, they were extremely far throws, and I mean, I, I absolutely couldn't make it, and most probably NFL quarterbacks couldn't make that throw, but one thing that Allen is known for is his extremely strong arm, and to see him underthrow digs when he's just wide open with a walk-in touchdown instead he has to pull up stop catch the ball and fall over just to have a huge game and I mean even Allen's numbers like yeah they look great but how many of those were just those deep bombs and that was it and half of that came at the end of the game on those last two touchdowns where you're just yep you know throwing up pretty much Hail Marys almost and just whipping things down the field and the other team all they don't want is a touchdown so they're giving you 20 30 yard plays underneath because they don't really care at that point I mean other than that I mean, besides those, you know, last couple of touchdowns, you had one touchdown going into that before you started to finally turn it up. But again, the team's playing prevent defense at that point and probably allowing some softer plays to get through. So, I mean, I feel like the offensive numbers are fluffed up, like you said, quite a bit, even outside of Diggs and Davis. But as far as the offense goes, and again, this is what we saw for the Jets game. I don't get the head-hanging kind of attitude from the whole team outside of Diggs, especially when you you know look on the other side of the ball and look at what your defense is able to do and watching the defense like pump up that home crowd in London, even though they weren't home, but it was still a ton of Bills fans, watching them 
get psyched about their sacks, about, you know, everything that they were doing. And I mean, Phillips toward the end of the game, trying to get the team and the crowd spiked, you know, cheering them on after I think it was a false start penalty when uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars were almost pretty much backed up and pinned in their end zone. And they got the false start because the crowd was loud and Phillips was going in the end zone and pumping them all up. Like, how do you look at that side of your team trying to do everything they possibly can to win this game and get pumped up. And then you're just going to mope around because you're having a bad game. I just don't understand like the, the Allen leadership this year to me just seems like it's lacking. Like, I don't understand where his mentality has gone. He just sits on the bench by himself. He's not standing and watching unless it's, you know, unless the game's going really well, like that Miami game where he's just dialed in and amazing. Then he's, up on the bench here and everybody on, but as soon as it has, you know, a few bad series, a bad game, he's just head down, sitting on the bench, staring at his iPad all by himself, not firing anybody up, just kind of running on the field. And, you know, they have a, another punt and he just runs off the field, goes and sits back down. And it is what it is. Like, there's just no, there's no fire. And I, I don't get it. Like there's, there's games where he's playing really well. And then the fire is there, but whenever there's a little bit of adversity this year, he seems to just go into a shell of himself. And the only one, that you see trying to pump the team up, like you mentioned, is Diggs, who's doing everything he possibly can, talking to, like the announcer said, each and every individual person on that sideline, trying to get him fired up, and there's just nothing, and I just don't, I don't get it. I don't get where the, I don't know, the the confidence, the swag, the attitude, just anything. I mean, the only time in this game you really saw anything out of Allen was that very last touchdown where he just kind of whips the ball at the ref with no no celebration, just kind of an attitude walking off. Like, yeah, obviously we could score that quickly, that easily. It was nothing. And he walks off. At that point, it's, you know, too little, too late. It means pretty much nothing as they almost got that onside kickback. And, I mean, it would have been interesting, but still would have been, even if they won this game, they didn't deserve from the offensive standpoint to win it. So I just, I don't know where the the mental attitude of this offensive unit is and what needs to change outside of Diggs trying his little heart out to get this team fired up. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. The Allen sitting on a bench that I'm just piecing together here. And again, this is just because I just thought of it now. We had that whole Stefan Diggs offseason drama. Like nobody knows exactly what's going on, why it all happened and all that. I mean, again, this is just all speculations. This is me just pulling this out of my butt right here. What if Stefan Diggs, his whole problem this whole offseason and going into the season is he thinks the team is too soft because the team is flat out too soft. Anything wrong that happens, you see them just hanging their head. You brought up the perfect example. Josh Allen, when things are going right, he's standing. He's communicating with his teammates. When things are going wrong, he's looking at a stupid tablet. He's getting on a stupid hat. And he's just sitting alone on the bench. That's not captain material. That's not captain leadership. I don't know what happened to fired up Josh Allen, but he is long gone and he has disappeared and he has not been around in a long time. It's just, it's so frustrating to see a team that has this amount of talent just squandered again. It's five games into the season. They're sitting at three and two. The season's not completely lost. I get it. I get it. But it's just, it's losses like these that keep happening under Sean McDermott's era. And I'm not blaming Sean McDermott whatsoever. It's just, it's so frustrating to see this, that if one little thing, Matt Milano, and we can dive into that now, Matt Milano gets hurt. It seemed like the air was let out of everybody's tires and they went, well, this is over and packed it in. While the defense is just... This was AJ Epinesa's best game as a pro, and they squandered it. They needed somebody to step up. 
Because Von Miller was playing, what, 20 snaps and he didn't play the whole second half. He was just being a cheerleader. And I kind of get that because of the field conditions. I was kind of upset that they they didn't use him in the whole second half, but I get it. You lost two of your star players to injuries pretty much because of the turf. Why would you put your other star player out there to deal with the turf? I get it now. I, I, I took some time. I calmed down and I get it. But you lose Matt Milano. You lose uh, Daquan Jones like four plays in. You lose Benford. For, Benford didn't even play. You lose uh, Floyd for a while. Uh, Kingsley was coming in and out. It's just it, you finally got players on the defense that are not household names. Like normal fans around the NFL wouldn't know who A.J. Epinesa is unless they do like deep, deep fantasy defensive individual players drafts and dynasty and stuff like that. That's the only reason anybody would know AJ Epinesa, the normal fan, but he had an unbelievable game. He's having an unbelievable season. He stepped up. Nope. <laughs> the offense, I don't know why you can see AJ Epinesa having that type of game and look on the offensive end and just go, okay, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. It's just, there's no passion behind 99% of these players. It's just so frustrating that your your defense is just balling out and you can't do anything. The the only real negative that I have on the defensive end, and I have to own up on this, I try to own up when I'm completely wrong. Kyrie Elam, he is cooked, man. He is not that good whatsoever. They were targeting him over and over and over and over. He had some good plays. I, I'll, I'll hand it to him. There were some good plays, but they were just targeting him over and over and over versus, uh, with Kelvin Ridley and he was just getting burned and burned and burned. So, I, for one, completely understand why he was a healthy scratch the first four games, and I completely understand why he was not seeing the field because this guy is not ready, and I'm not fully ready to say he's a bust, but he's as close to being a bust of a first-round pick as you can get. Yeah, it was very depressing watching someone who's supposed to be very good at a one-on-one kind of situation. I understand Kevin Ridley is an elite wide receiver. He's one of the better ones in the entire league. It's not like he's going up against you know, Joe Schmo and getting burned. But at the same time, you'd you'd hope that in year two, even with these healthy scratches, he's had enough time, you know, practice time on a professional team. And he had some pretty decent play last season. I mean, it's not like, again, he's not a rookie going into his first game ever as an NFL player. And then, you know, going straight in against Kelvin Ridley. He's been around for a year. He's had NFL experience at this point. And to see him just get demolished by Ridley over and over and every single time it was third down and long and it was or second and long and it was just deflating to watch him get burned after the defense does an incredible job on first and second puts him in a really bad position and then all they have to do is look at Elam look at Ridley see they're lined up together and that's where the ball was going and it worked every single time so very frustrating to see Elam not step up in that situation at all. I mean, again, I know it's a tough situation to be put into, but given what he's supposed to be, given his first round pedigree, I mean, other first round cornerbacks at this point are doing better than he is, even second, probably third rounders. And to see him not win too many, if any, of those battles against Ridley was uh, just demoralizing to watch him get beat consistently over and over. Yeah, the only thing else I I want to say, and then we can kind of put a bow on this one and move on to Sunday night versus the Giants. But in, in my honest opinion, they they are going to be replacing Kyrie Elam, hopefully with a healthy Christian Benford or a more healthy Christian Benford. They're going to be replacing Daquan Jones with Puna Ford. I don't think there there's a big drop off, but I don't think it's a massive drop off. And then you're going to be replacing Matt Milano with Dorian Williams, who struggled mightily making tackles on on Sunday. So 
those are going to be your current replacements for the players that you out went out. In my honest opinion right now, and I, I I try to take my bias out of it. I try to take my emotion out of it. Just looking at this team, a team that lost Tredavious White the week before, and now likely Matt Milano and Daquan Jones for, not if not the whole season, the majority of the season. This team is not winning the Super Bowl. As constructed right now, after week five, this is not a Super Bowl winning team. Yes, Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs can make magic happen, but even Diggs or Davis, he's having a decent season. I still don't think he's a number two in the league, but he's having a good season. Nobody else is stepping up. Kincaid's playing time is going down. The Knox is hurt. Uh, Kincaid actually walked out of the game with a concussion. The offensive line has been struggling. They can't get any run game going the last two weeks. And losing your three best players on the defensive end for pretty much the entire year, this is not a Super Bowl winning team. It stinks to admit that in week five because you went into the season have, looking at the paper, looking at the, the team on paper and saying, hey, this is the best team we've had in a very long time. Uh, that all got wiped clean the last two weeks with these injuries, and it stinks to say that. I really hope I'm wrong. I've been wrong about a lot of things, Kyrie Lim, Josh Allen, so on and so forth. So I'm really hoping I'm wrong, but just looking at it now, you lose that amount of talent at the defensive end, it's going to be nearly impossible for them to come out of the season as a Super Bowl winning team. Yeah, I think it it obviously gets extremely tough and much tougher than it was, like you said, before this roster was depleted and back when it was healthy. But knowing what the offense can do, if they can find some sort of consistency, I mean, if they can play, I mean, the, the offense is fine in theory, injury wise. I mean, like you said, a few players are banged up, but for the most part, the pieces are there. If they can find a way to be more consistent and play like they did against Miami, that offense has the ability to play incredible football and keep up with pretty much anyone in the league. Can they do it? I don't know. They haven't shown consistency much this year as we just went from a perfect game to a horrendous game. So I think that's a huge question mark. I think if they can find that, the offense can keep up with anyone. And the defense showed, I think, even with all these injuries, that they have the ability to step up. And what's kind of the saving grace to me for this defense is that front defensive line. If they can continue to be the kind of terror they have been so far into the season with just the pressures they've had on quarterbacks, the bad balls from Epinesa, the turnovers that this team's forcing, the fumbles this team's forcing. I think if that front defensive line can continue to be a terror, especially when Von Miller comes back, if they can put even more pressure on a QB, I think the defense has a chance if that defensive line can continue to put constant pressure on the quarterback and running backs that the defense has a chance to be good enough for the offense to take over. But to me, it's all going to come down to consistency of the offense. If they can find a way to actually put consistent points on the board and be the team that we saw against Miami, I think they still have a shot. But like you said, it definitely got much, much more difficult the rest of the way. So like we said, Sunday night football, they'll be facing the Giants. Who knows if you're going to be facing Daniel Jones. It sounds like he's got a chance. Otherwise, you're facing the man that was quarterbacking the team that broke the trout and Tyrod Taylor. So honestly, I'd prefer to face Daniel Jones over Tyrod Taylor, but that's just me. So we'll talk about that one on our next show. But Phil, we'll move forward to the Buffalo Sabres. Preseason is done. The games are over. They finished the uh, preseason last Friday. They, they lost Wednesday 
versus the Blue Jackets, five to three. Gergensen power and Benson scored. UPL twenty eight of thirty eight or thirty two in net. And then Friday they lost seven to four versus the Pens. Olafson, Benson, uh, Paterka, and Middlestad scored. Levi twenty eight of thirty five. I guess we don't really have to talk too much about those preseason games because the roster's finalized. The season starts tomorrow. Right beforehand, though, Kevin Adams works his magic, gets the deal done. It was always rumored around this amount of figures and about this round of years. I mean, uh, uh, there's there was rumors all over the place that he, this was going to get done. It was just when it was going to get done. Darlene, eight years, $11 million. It's going to kick in next year. What's your thought on getting Darlene locked in for that amount of years and that amount of cash? Amazing. Um, I agree. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a, it's high for sure. I mean, I'm not saying high for his talent or high for what he should arguably deserve, but it's high for the Buffalo Sabres. And so, I mean, in general, it's a large, large contract, but he is still... Biggest contract in Buffalo Sabres history. There you go. That's what we mean by large. Um, but he is still extremely young. He's still growing. He's one of the best defensemen in the entire league. He's a player that you absolutely need to lock down and... As inflation continues to hit sports, I think once again, this kind of deal will eventually look really, really good. And in general right now, I don't think it looks bad. I mean, uh, he's arguably your number one player on the team. If not, he's very close. So right now, if you can, you know, tell me that the best player on the Sabres is locked down for 11 million a year, I think that's going really well for the Sabres. So with how many years it was is fine. I mean, he has shown no real injury history so far. He's still extremely young. He's going to be in the prime of his career for those eight years. So no problem with the term length, no problem with the 11 million. Again, it's a little bit high, sure, but in general for his talent and what I think he deserves to make and what people were kind of projecting him to make, I think that's still both Darlene friendly and team friendly and absolutely love that they were able to get it done. Yeah, I'm staying true to the Tage Thompson and Dylan Cousins one. You lock up your young guys early, well, early-ish with this one. I know he just, I think he signed a three-year bridge deal for $6 million. So if you would have just signed him for the eight years, and I know this was before Kevin Adams, the eight years right out of his rookie deal, this number would have been a little bit lower, but I'm fine with it. I mean, I was probably hoping to be around 10, 10 and a half, but in the grand scheme of things, you got him, you're your best player locked up for at least nine more years because this year he's still making six million. This contract kicks in next year. So nine more years with Darlene. Tage Thompson and Dylan Cousins deal kicks in this year. So you got eight more years of them. You're locking up your young pieces for much cheaper deals than they would be in their prime prime years. So I love it. I'm still sticking true to it. You got to lock up your your you got to take some risks, and I don't think Darlene's a risk. I think Tage Thompson was probably a risk, and Dylan Cousins was a risk, a, a risky-ish before they kind of kicked it off. You were wondering if Cousins was going to be able to repeat. You were going to wonder if Tage was able to repeat. Tage took it to another level. Cousins even took it to a, a bigger level after he signed. I know it was midway through the season last year, but I love it. Now we can transition into what the team looks like this year. The biggest question marks, I guess, were going to be, does Benson make the team? He ended up coming out of camp, and yes, he is on the team. And then who is going to be the seventh defenseman? That ends up being Jacob Bryson. It was between him, Stillman, and Clagg. Clagg and Stillman went down to the minors last week, and that means Bryson gets it. And then the last one was the three goalies. Were you going to waive one? Were you going to be able to get one down to Rochester? They didn't risk it. All three goalies make the team. Phil, what's your thought on the Benson making the team 
and the three goalies sticking around at least to start the season. I love Benson making the team. I mean, he led the entire team in preseason hockey, and I I think he just he showed everything that he can to at least get that nine game trial, especially with Savoy and Quinn possibly on injured reserve. I think they need a little bit of extra young forward talent. And I think if he looked overmatched in preseason, I think and still made the team just based on, you know, when he was drafted and all that, I think it would have looked a little bit more suspicious. But considering just how mature his game looked in preseason, again, we talked about it last episode where he just doesn't look out of place. I mean, he's, you know, making his first NHL appearance in these preseason games and playing with all of his NHL talented line mates. And as an 18 year old, just playing in the NHL for the first time, he looked very comfortable. He didn't look overmatched. And again, I think just confidence and poise more than anything is what I think I saw when he was out there playing. He just looked so comfortable. He didn't look scared. He didn't look timid. He didn't look like a player who was 18 years old playing in the NHL for the first time. So I think making the team makes sense to me. I, I love the the nine-game tryout. Go give it to him, see how he does. And if he does well enough, then I think there's no reason he can't stay on the team and continue to make an impact. Um, but, I mean, that's still, you know, we'll, we'll see We'll see where he ends up. But I think, again, given what we saw in preseason, it looked really good. The three goalies stand out as something that we didn't love last year. And here we are again. Uh, with three goalies and I just I hope somebody at some point gets traded I I don't know what it's really going to look like I think you're kind of wasting a roster spot I understand that if one gets sent down to the minors he's probably gone for free so again I hope sooner than later at least for now while they're healthy it's good enough to have those three guys out there and you don't really need that extra spot but at some point, if they start going through some injury woes, it'd be interesting to see if any of those goalies are traded away and what their actual thoughts about the three are, which I don't think we really know other than Levi being the 1A. Yeah, I mean, I went into training camp and well before that all through the offseason was I don't want this team to start the regular season with three goalies, not just because it messes with their their practice habits, not just because, you know, you're not going to know a good rotation. There's going to be a guy that's going to be sitting too long or the guys that are both going to be sitting too long or something like that. It's just, I don't like the fact that it almost seems like they're afraid to lose one of them. I thought Comrie earned the backup role in training camp and preseason. I thought he outplayed UPL. I am still a staunch believer that UPL will not turn into a quality NHL starting goaltender. And when you have that, I wish they would have just sent him to Tampa Bay where there was an opening for Tampa Bay or just put him on waivers and see what happens. Maybe you can get it back down there. I just I I just don't believe that UPL can be a starting goaltender in the league. I don't even think he can be a backup because his numbers just aren't there. So honestly, that that is my opinion on it. It's been very bold on it all offseason and I'm not really switching to it. I just hope that Levi is the true, because that that was the one thing going in, which I wanted them to get a true veteran backup that can pull some of the the pressure off of Levi. So it's not all on his shoulders. It's all on his shoulders now. And there's uh it's the same goaltenders, you know, that were in the games last year. So besides Craig Anderson, but it's going to be, 
maybe because the the defense in front of them is a bit improved that those numbers are going to be improved. But I, I honestly have no idea. And then Jacob Bryson, I thought he earned it. I thought he had the best camp of the, the seventh defenseman. He's probably not going to be playing much unless there's an injury. And then, of course, Jacob Bryson, which I'm going to be talking about in just a second. Him making the team, he definitely deserves it. He doesn't look outmatched out there. The only thing that he looks like he shouldn't be in the NHL is his face and his body. I mean, he has an 18-year-old face, and this is coming from a 31-year-old, but whatever. He's 5'10", 170. He is, what, 170 soaking wet? So he doesn't look like a true ready NHL player, but as soon as he puts on those pads and hits the ice, he looks like a legit player, and there's no drop-off between him and the next guy. He goes out there and performs. Yeah, the only other couple things, Ryan Johnson and Lucas Rosick got sent down. Savoy and Quinn, like we mentioned, possibly IR. And then Brandon Biro, who had a really good preseason as well, also cleared waivers. I think the Sabres are taking a smidge of a risk with uh, their team and sending him down. I think he played really well, but he luckily made it through. So I think the Sabres have, I mean, with just all those players just mentioned, again, you see defense possibly lacking a little bit. Not that they need a ton of help, but Ryan Johnson looked really good in preseason as well. So I think just the quality of players that they have, not only in the AHL system, but also injured with Quinn and Savoy, I think it's going to be, again, a very young team. But I mean, just seeing what they're putting on the ice, seeing a player that's 18 years old that they just drafted, that you and I often complain that we don't love the NHL draft because those players you almost never see or don't see for a long time. And yet the 18 year old Benson makes the team and just seeing that They have all of this youthful talent ready to come up and be a big part of this team. It's it's exciting for the for the now and for the future. Yeah, they even got younger this year. They replaced the 41, 42 year old Craig Anderson with an 18 year old uh, Zach Benson. So their average age just dropped tremendously as well. But yeah, we'll move on to our bold predictions. We got two of them for this year. And I'll start off because my first one is that Zach Benson, he's got that nine game tryout. If he plays, he's got to stick around the rest of the season because he would have to go back to juniors otherwise. I got him playing 60 games and going 15, 15, and 30 season. And I think that's a, I I know a bunch of people are going to look at that 15, 15, and 30. Why would you keep him up? He's just a kid. Let him, but 60 games for an 18 year old in the NHL. I think they're going to do something similar to what they did with Jack Quinn last year, with Peyton Krebs last year, with, with uh, JJ Paterka last year, where they'll get three or four games up in the booth just to see and get a different vantage point and then go back on the ice. But having a 15, 15, and 30 season for an 18-year-old that just got drafted, I think is a very solid season to break him back into the NHL. And if he can, can I, I know preseason is a little bit different than the regular season, but he was hanging around and he wasn't missing a beat. So I think having a 30-point season in 60 games, I I think that might be a little uh, adventurous predictions for him, but that's why they're bold. Ambitious? Is that what you were? Ambitious, yeah. That That's a probably a better word than I'm not an encyclopedia, Phil. <laughs> jet lag pk jet lag i am on jet lag right now yeah and with benson i mean that's another uh unfortunate thing with him due to his age which we've mentioned a lot of times now is that if he does not make the nhl team he goes to juniors and what is he really going to do there i mean i think he's proven everything he needs to and especially with preseason like we've mentioned a lot on this episode he looks like he belongs in the nhl so for some reason for this nine game tryout if he really just falls flat on his face in the regular season when things are, you know, amped up a little bit more and he just simply looks outmatched, then 
I, I don't know. I feel like the Sabres are in a tough spot with him because if you send him back to juniors, what does that really do for his development? I mean, yes, he can go back there and fine tune some things, but what is the point of just kind of steamrolling competition when you arguably could be in the NHL? So even if he looks not great for the first nine games, I think the Sabres will still have a very tough call for his development because I, I don't know. I mean, again, you don't want to rush him. By any means, you don't want to rush his development, but I don't know what Juniors is going to do for a player like that at this point. But as for me, for my first bold prediction, I am going to go with my my guy from last year, Tage Thompson. I'm going with his first 100-point season. He has not quite gotten there. I know that uh, <laughs> having a 100-point season is really good. And uh, I mean, three years ago, I'm staring at it right now in 38 games, he was looking at a whopping 14 points. And then two years ago, skyrocketed to 68. And last year, once again, skyrocketed to 94. So the jumps he is making are ridiculous and very unsustainable. But last year, he had 47 goals, 47 assists, 94 points for a plus four plus minus as well. In just 78 games, he played 78 games the year before, so we'll assume he plays about 78 games again. I just think with how good he is at scoring and getting assists, he's not, I mean, clearly 47-47, even the year before, 38-30. and He's not really a goal scorer only or an assist man only. He's not heavily weighted in one category or the other. So with him being a complete player on one of the best offenses in the league, which seems insane to say, if I'm being honest, but... I think he has what it takes to get that 100-point season, and I think he can do it this year, but it's also a really tough feat. So it's bold for a reason, but he was just six points off last year, and I think he can finally eclipse it. And by finally, I mean he's had one year that was really close. My second bold prediction is J.J. Paterka will have a 30-goal season. We had how many of them last year, Phil? Let me count. One, two, three, four... Four 30-goal seasons, and then Victor Olofsson was sitting at 28. So I think that J.J. Paterka is going to join that. I would have had Jack Quinn before his injury. Uh, J.J. Paterka last year, uh, 77 games, 12 goals. So I have him more than doubling his goal total just because of the offseason he had at the World Championships. He was the MVP of that one as well. He's just He looks primed and ready to just be fully unleashed and having another year on the line with Dylan Cousins, building that connection. Cousins is a great facilitator and a great goal scorer. He's going to get that shooting percentage up a bit from the 9.6 he was at last year. He's figuring out the NHL game a bit more. I think he's going to be up into like the 12, 13, 14%. And with that, more goals are going to be flying. I mean, he was very, very unlucky. There were some streaks last year where I just don't know how the puck wasn't going in for him. And then there were times where he would just go on the goal droughts. And that's expected in a rookie season. I think he's going to take that sophomore jump. And a 30-goal season, for me, doesn't seem too far-fetched. But again, it is a bold prediction. So we'll see what transpires out of that. But Phil, what is your second bold prediction for this team? Second bold prediction is that they make playoffs. That is, uh, we're just going to keep it it nice, tidy, simple. They were very close last year. I know... I've looked through enough articles and experts, and it seems like a lot of people, due to the Atlantic Vision being just filthy, have the Sabres still on the outside looking in for playoffs this year. Again, probably going to be one of those close teams, but a lot of people don't have them making it. Some have them making it, but squeaking in, so very similar to last year where they just missed it. But I think 
if this team, I mean, the defense should be a little bit improved. The offense, I can't really see them improving too much from what they did already, but if they can just kind of repeat what they did last year, even with a little bit of improvements, like you said, players like Paterka, rookie season last year, Quinn, rookie season, some of these other guys like Benson, if he can make any kind of impact, not in a, a mean way, but if he can just make even a 15 to 15 season, like you mentioned earlier for your bold prediction, I think that, you know, those kind of depth players stepping up in those situations and then Devin Levi, if he can just give them any kind of consistency between the pipes, which is what they were missing last year, especially what we saw from him down the road, down the stretch there in those really big games, if he can give them any kind of just reliability between the pipes, I think the Sabres can finally make that push and make playoffs for the first time in a long time. But it's still going to be very tough. The Atlanta division is, again, just... It's unfortunate to be a part of it. I guess we'll just put it that way. But I mean, the team, the team has the makings. They're there. I think they they can do it, but it's still going to be real tough. So on our next show, we'll have some real games for the Buffalo Sabres that actually count for the first time since last April. So uh, I'm very excited for this season. I am. At least you can very, say last April excited. and not last, uh, you know, February, March. Very true. Very true. <laughs> I mean, they start. One, two, three, four, five. Five of the first six games are at home. So uh, start off hot because this is uh, you got some teams to leapfrog this year to make the playoffs. So, Phil, we'll move on to Fantasy Blitz. We did it. We did it. That is why you're seeing the video and my hat is upright. Both of our players were inside the top 12. Jaleel McLaughlin, who I had, was ranked 37th overall. He finished number 7. And Phil, you had Brees Hall, who was ranked number 30th, finished number 3. So for week 6, can we get back-to-back weeks? Who is your fantasy blitz player for week 6 of the fantasy football season? My fantasy blitz player for week 6. Also, congratulations to both of us. And I have both of those players in separate leagues, so ended up working out great for me. And might have saved my guillotine season, but we'll see. Fancy Blitz this week. I have Jordan Addison. He is currently ranked 26, going up against the horrible Chicago Bears defense, and possibly without Justin Jefferson, who went down with a hamstring injury in the fourth quarter. So we'll see if he can play. But even if he can play, I don't think he'll likely be at 100% last game, even when Jefferson was around for most of it. Addison finished 6 of 9, 64 yards and a touchdown for 15.4 half PPR points, so if Jefferson is injured at all against this terrible Bears defense, I expect Addison to have a big game, and I think he can get back up into that top 12, top 10, possibly for the first time in his career. I do love that one. Uh, I was thinking about him. I did see him, and then I completely forgot that Justin Jefferson got hurt with his hammy. I don't expect him to play this coming up week, so that is a great pick for me. Uh, This is my first quarterback of the year. I'm going the man that ruined my six leg parlay they would have won me some decent money uh monday or sunday saturday night or God, sunday <laughs> night phil uh he was the only one that didn't hit i had him thrown for over 225 passing yards he didn't do it but he's currently ranked 22 that is dak prescott he's been very very bad so far he's got six touchdown passes with four interceptions he's got two games under 200 yards passing he's got three games under 63 percent completion percentage he's got two games with more than one rushing attempt but but he is facing the San, or the Los, I almost called them San Diego Chargers. They haven't been there in a while. Los Angeles Chargers this week coming off the bye. They're giving up 26 points per game. Uh, Cowboys need a win to get back in the 
you know, race with Philly for the, the NFC East. I think this is a bounce back week with more buys kicking off, which we got to remember because there are bye weeks now. I think he can sneak into the top 10 of quarterbacks this week versus the Chargers because they're going to have to keep up. He's going against his former OC and Kellen Moore. I am uh, I'm scared, but I think he can be in the top 10 of quarterbacks for Dave Prescott this coming up week. It's crazy to think that he's just going to squeak in to the top 10 and just even seeing those numbers, six touchdowns, four interceptions. What the heck happened to Dak Prescott? Kellen Moore left. That's what it is. Kellen Moore left and uh, big, uh, big man over there. Mike McCarthy took over and uh, he realized that he, his offense was scoring too quickly, too many points. And they, they had to make a change at OC and he took over and that's what you get. That's what you get when uh, Mike McCarthy takes back over. You blown out by Brock Purdy dropping four TDs. Unbelievable. That's what you Unbelievable. Mean. Thanks a lot, Dak, and thanks a lot, Mike McCarthy. You uh, ruined my money, and don't mess with the man's money. Phil, we'll move on to our final, final section here of the show. Just got two real quick things, well, one real quick thing before we dive into our main topic of the Buffalo Bandits. Ian McKay, of course, after we recorded, he signed a three-year deal. He was qualified offered, so he was going to be making more than he made the previous year because he was qualified offered plus. Phil, Ian McKay, longest deal with the Buffalo Bandits, or he's he's going to, how do I phrase this? Longest. He currently has the longest termed deal on the Buffalo Bandits right now. Nobody goes beyond three years. I love it. I am his, I, I have been behind Ian McKay's, I've been in his corner since he got drafted fourth overall. It was third or fourth. I think he was fourth because I think Matt Gilmore was uh, third, but he is the one of the key pieces that you cannot lose in locking him up for three more years, rather just a one-year deal that we've been seeing a lot. Love it because you don't have to worry about him for three more years. Yeah, that's definitely the the biggest sticking point with this. Obviously, you and I both love Ian McKay and all of Bandit Land. Again, we talk about it a lot, but that championship series where he might have gone down, potentially injured, and just the silence in the arena, watching him limp off, and just the, the kind of sheer terror... Seeing him possibly injured kind of explains what he means to this team. But the biggest thing, like you mentioned, three years, finally somebody we don't have to worry about every single offseason or at least for three offseasons, we can enjoy some Ian McKay and just kind of relax and, and watch him and have fun. It's, I don't know, I mean, it's kind of how the NLL works, so I get it. There's not a ton of long-term deals, but I mean, more than one year for some of these guys would be appreciated, so we can at least, you know, let it go for a year. But most off-seasons, we're waiting on the entire team to be re-signed, and that's always fun. So good to see Ian McKay have three years. He definitely deserves it, like you said, qualifying offer plus, which is good for him. He deserves it. Arguably, transition player of the year last year. Wasn't even nominated, even though he deserved to be, but really good to see him locked down for three. Yeah, the only players currently that need deals now are Adler, Nanakoke. Both of those guys do not have enough years in the league to be an RFA. You have Frazier, who is also qualified, offered plus, and then you have Smith that was franchise tag. So those four guys still need to be locked up going into training camp. So those uh, Dietrich's got a little bit more work to do until you know training camp kicks off at the end of the month. So Phil... We went into this episode trying to figure out, okay, it's like the middle, early middle of October. What are we going to keep talking about with this team? Went back and forth for a while, and we settled on this. We picked three Buffalo Bandits games and one NLL game that we are most interested in watching this year. And 
it's kind of like a different twist this year because you're facing everybody. There's no East. There's no West. We went over that like a couple weeks ago when the NL broke that news, which we all saw coming. But you're, especially for us, we have so much more work to do in this offseason and into the season that you're going to be watching every single game because every single team matters now. So we wanted to go over these games and maybe some of the teams that we're going to be picking and some of the matchups we're going to be picking are teams that you haven't faced and haven't seen in a while. And a lot of fans out there that might not even know, you know, who is on these teams. So Phil, what is your first matchup that you're most interested in watching and seeing? Cause obviously we're going to be watching all the bandits games, but what is one of your top three most you know excited for matchups coming into the season? Yeah, it's uh I'm gonna start it real simple, real, real, real easy. I left this one for you. Wow, look at you. Uh yeah, the first one, first home game, San Diego, banner raising home opener against a solid, really good West Coast team, one that should arguably have made the championship finals a few times, at least when the Bandits were on this insane run here to be in the finals so many times without seeing San Diego. Pretty nuts that we have not seen that team. They are incredibly talented, but just had they're not very good in the playoffs for some reason but it is going to be exciting to see them at the banner raising I think it's going to be a really intense game again a team that probably thinks that they should have had at least a shot one of these last few years at the title they have not been able to get there but I think these are going to be two of the better teams this year they were two of the better teams last year it's going to be a really intense exciting banner raising home opener I'm going to start off with that yeah, can we have a few more goals than last year's matchup? Yeah, the seven, it was six uh, overtime. <laughs> boring. It was just because I remember you had your. I think that was St. Patrick's Day, right? Or was that? Yeah, I think. It I was. think so because it, it was a late game. Yep. Yeah, because yeah, we yeah, still I stayed it. at your house. We ordered pizza <laughs> and we were watching the game and just going, "Where did all the goals go? Did they leave them in Buffalo? I mean, what happened?" And then they ended up winning. I think it was Steve Priel that won it in overtime. But yeah, that, that's going to be a special night. That one being in person for is going to be really nice. Uh, the banner is going to go up right in front of me, so I'm probably going to get some screen time. So I'll be waving to everybody. But for me, they faced this team twice this year, so you can kind of narrow it down which matchup is going to be mine. Mine is not the first matchup. It's the second one. Buffalo is heading to Colorado April 5th, 9 p.m. game. It's a pretty obvious one to pick from, but it's their third of three straight road games. It's another rematch of the final, second time facing them that season. That late into the season, though, with only two more weeks to follow that one, this could be a matchup where they're jockeying for first place. They could be jockeying for second, third, fourth. They're jockeying for playoff seating at this point in the season. Dylan Ward, Zed Williams, Ryan Lee, McLaughlin's back. All those guys, uh, they re-up for three years. Not Zed Williams, he locked up for three years. And Lee, it was McLaughlin and Ward locked up for three years. Capito uh, could be coming back. Downing just came over. Jeffrey is another year in the system. And, of course, the captain, uh, Robert Hope, signs back for two more years. So this is a rivalry that's been going on for years and years and years. Back-to-back times, you've seen them in the finals. Colorado had the best of them two years ago. Buffalo got the best of them this year. They're facing each other at least twice in the regular season. And, again, because of the format now, where it's the top eight teams make it regardless because there's no divisions and there's no conferences facing Colorado twice. And this one, the third and three straight row games, the team's going to be jet lagged a bit. If you want to use that excuse already, but I'm very excited to see that one on a Friday night, 9 PM. Yeah, that's going to be like you said. I mean, we are starting off pretty obvious so far, but that's going to be 
Ugh, these two teams uh, do not like each other, turns out. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. My next one is January 19th, the New York Riptide coming in to Banditland. I think it's just a, a team that I'm interested to watch this year. They had, according to you and I, one of the better, more interesting and successful offseasons this year. They focused heavily on their defense, their offense has been pretty solid last few years, and it's a team that's given the Bandits troubles in the last few matchups and meetings that they've had. So I'm interested to see what this Riptide looks like this year. I think at that point, it'll still be pretty early, so I don't know if you'll have a good firm grasp as to, you know, which way that their season's leaning by any means. But I think it's a team, again, that gives the Bandits some troubles. And with them focusing their offseason on defense, they've made some pretty solid accusations or... uh is that correct? Accusations? No. Acquisitions? No, oh my no, gosh, those that's are close words. I'll say accusations. That's not it. Uh, they are accusing the entire league of not putting them higher up in the power rankings. So they're going to be in Buffalo. And again, watching Jeff Teat, always good time. But I think it's just going to be an interesting team this year. I know it's a team that you have as a bit of a sleeper like you did last year. You're trying once again to uh, wrap them into a sleeper team. So just excited to see a battle of New York and really see what that team might look like this year. Yeah, I do like that one. I did have them making playoffs last year, but we can ignore that. We're looking towards the future. I mean, I'm definitely excited. Anytime you're facing Jeff Teat and anytime Jeff Teat's on TV, it's going to be must-see TV. So I'm very interested to watch that one as well. My second one happening March 1st, 10 p.m. on the road. I guess I like. I kind of was targeting more of the road games because I'm already going to be in person for the home games, even though I'm going to be watching all these games regardless. So my first two was just like, hey, these ones are going to be the road ones, but... I'm more interested to see this one because the team they're going to be facing, which is in Vancouver, they're completely revamped team. Kurt Malowski, he's the new coach out there. He comes over from Calgary. He brings a lot of players with him. Bowering and Charlambides are pretty much the only main returners coming in. New faces like Beers, Crowley, Dilks, uh, Lintz, Subak. All those guys are coming in. They added first rounders in Owen Grant, uh, Braden uh, Lady, Connor O'Toole. So the team has a good mix of not just young pieces that they're going to be building around, but they also brought in a ton of vets like a Kevin Crowley who comes over from San Diego that are going to be able to not just show the young guys how to build and win, but also they're looking to win now with the pieces they brought in. So this could be a kind of a sneaky under the radar team of, I mean, Malowski knows how to get the best out of his players. It's just, will he get the goaltending that he needs to back it up? Are they going to go with the rookie or are they going to go with one of the vets like Bolt? So it's going to be, that's, that's a team by, you know, March 1st, you're going to be able to know, are they more like a locked in team that are looking for the playoffs? Or are they going more, you know, trying to use this year as a rebuilding year. And then the following year, they're going to take that next step. Yeah, I like it. And uh, spoilers, I do have them a little bit later in in my picks as well. I like it. I went uh, home again. And this one is completely selfish, pretty much to me. And I guess kind of Buffalo, but that is April 13, Calgary Roughnecks. Pretty similar to my first pick, another former West Coast team that is a powerhouse, former finals rematch in 2019. Love to see Calgary at home, but that is kind of the main reason I picked them. I like Christian Del Bianco quite a bit. I like Zach Currier quite a bit. It's going to be harder to cheer for those guys now that it's one unified league because 
I can't say, well, they're out west, so they don't mean anything to the bandits, so I can kind of cheer for them separately. Not that I would cheer really for Calgary, but I like watching those players play and getting a chance to watch them in person. I think it'll be really exciting. And again, 2019 finals rematch. I think it'll be fun to see some of these former West Coast teams play in Buffalo, Calgary. Very excited to see them play, but it's weird. And I know you and I talked about it a little bit. It's going to be very weird for a year or two having these West Coast mentally teams, these teams that we just, you know, have remembered as West Coast teams being part of this one unified league and teams that we actually have to pay attention to and worry about season long versus just possibly playoffs. Yeah, my final Bandits game that I'm most interested in seeing is a more early game into the season. I believe it's their third game of the season, Friday, another Friday game, December 29th, 7.30 at home versus Georgia. It's their second of three straight home games to start the season. I know they're on the road in Albany to start, but then next three games are home. I think it's going to be a good early test to kind of see which Georgia you're going to get. Are they going to get the early season of Georgia last year? Or are they going to get the one that won, what, eight of nine games to end the season? They brought back TJ Cos- uh, um, Camazio two years, Shane Jackson, three years, Lyle Thompson, three years, Brian Cole, three years. So they brought back those, those veteran type players that are the leaders of the team. We were really wondering, is Shane Jackson going to be signing elsewhere? He comes back for those three year deal. You get another year of Brett Dobson in net after winning the PLL title, you get Ryan Lanchberry another year in the system. And then our, our boy that never became our boy, first round draft pick, the, the man we love, Jacob Hickey also signed there. So you're getting a younger team, but also a team that has the Lyle Thompsons, the Shane Jacksons, the Brian Coles, all those top line guys that are going to be battling it out. And once you get solid goaltending with Dobson and Nett for a second year, this could be a team that threatens for a playoff spot in the in the NLL. And it, it could be a, I mean, every game this year is going to be a battle, but Battling Georgia early on in the season when you're when they're can they transition and still be hot from they were last year? That could be a very interesting matchup early on in the season. I have a, a few things about that one. First off, it's Camizio. Uh, Thank you. Thank second, you. three three year contracts. Buffalo, take note of that and uh, yeah, maybe try right. to do it a, a little bit more often for us because we would appreciate it. And a opinion question: Do you dislike? Friday NLL games more, or do you dislike primetime NFL oh. games? Oh, I, um, I knew it would be tough. Since I go to the games, I dislike the Friday games. And I, I, I understand. Don't harp on me. I get why they have to have some <laughs> Friday games and some Saturday games. It's whenever the arena is available all over the, the NLL. I get that. They're, I just they stink because you're not getting the same atmosphere that you do on a Saturday night game. The the people that come to the games, some of them work Friday late into the the evening where you can't show up to those games. Just seems like Saturday games are more filled and the uh, the environment and the atmosphere is is a lot more ruckus on Saturday nights and Fridays. So I will go. I hate Fridays more than I do primetime games, and that's saying a lot because I hate NFL primetime games. All right, just uh, you know, wanted to throw that tricky question at you my outside of the buffalo bandits game to watch this year is because i love former former teams former players former coaches going back to you know play against their former team 
And similar to what you already had mentioned with Vancouver, it is going to be Kurt Mowalski, Calgary at Vancouver. Kind of a bummer that he doesn't get to go back, you know, that that game's not in Calgary. I think it would have been a little bit more interesting, but at Vancouver, Calgary, without its uh, longtime head coach going up against his new team, I think in Vancouver, just going to be a fun game, revenge game, possibly for kind of both teams. Molesky trying to prove that, you know, he can do a good job with this new team. Calgary trying to prove they don't need him. And I don't think there was any real ill will between any of those teams. So I don't think it's going to be too insanely heated or anything. But still, anytime you lose a, a longtime coach like this, you want to prove one side or the other. So I think that's just going to be a very exciting, intense kind of game for those two teams. I went Saturday, March 9th, 5 p.m., Colorado and Toronto. It's a matchup nobody has been able to see yet, but it's everything that we want to see. Buffalo has been able to stop us seeing this battle for the last two years. Stop they you didn't face each. <laughs> they didn't face each other last year. These are two of the top teams in the whole league that are going to be battling it out in a Week 15 matchup. You're going to be seeing these top two highly powered offenses and highly powered defenses and these studs in net between Dylan Ward and and Nick Rose. I'm very interested to see this matchup and see it play out before us because this is a matchup we haven't been able to see yet. Thanks to the Buffalo Bandits, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a battle. And the more and more I'm looking at all these matchups, the more and more I'm actually loving this breakdown of all 15 teams in one league playing each other because you're going to see all this this rivalry between everybody, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, I just don't think I'm ready for the full season grind of. Yeah, I mean, I know, I, like, it, I know we keep saying this, like the West Coast teams don't matter as much because obviously they're not head to head. But at the same time, especially with the way the league has been the last few years, and the band's trying to get if they're going to make the championship, you want that number one overall seed. So for teams like the Bandits, the Toronto's, the San Diego's, the Colorado's, even though Colorado had a rough in-season year last year. I mean, those teams that are trying to fight for that number one overall spot pretty much year in and year out, I think they're used to the year-long grind because they're going after that top spot. So every single loss, like we said, all of last year and all the year before were, you know, four losses, five losses in your season, similar to kind of college football where you get that one loss and your season's over. Similar to this, you get four or five losses and you're looking pretty rough even in the NFL same thing you get a couple losses and you're starting to panic a little bit so I think the top teams in the entire league the last few years are going to be used to this kind of year-long grind fighting for those playoff seeds but these other teams that are trying to sneak in through the wild card and really battling it out within the division I think those teams are gonna I don't want to say be even a rude surprise but I think it's gonna be interesting to see those teams have to you know, really fight it out every single game to, you know, go against everybody trying to make playoffs all the same time. Whereas these top teams that are used to the season long grind, trying to get that number one overall seed to get that home field advantage to win the championship like the Buffalo Bandits did. I think they're going to be a little bit more used to the full season. Every single game matters compared to some of these teams that are kind of in the middle fighting their own division to make playoffs. So that is eight matchups that we're most excited for. Six of them for Buffalo Bandits, two of them for the NLL in general. So, Phil, we'll close this out. Is there anything else you would like to add to this episode before I can start watching the Manning cast and uh, hope and pray that my team actually pulls this one out? Uh, Same here. And 
I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Met a loss for the Bills. We got Sabres coming up, which is exciting. Bandits are still too far away. They're coming up quick, for sure. Um, but farther away than we would like. But yay, Sabres season starts. That's exciting. We'll focus yeah, stay on tuned. I'm, that for now. <laughs> I'm going to be on Talking Buffalo live after the season opener for the Buffalo Sabres. So if you have any interest in hearing what this idiot has to say, tune in there. It'll be a late live edition, but I believe he's going to put that out and it's going to be recorded out there. So if you're not going to stay up for after the game, uh, you can watch it the following day on Friday and hear what uh, I had to say. But on our next show, you know, we'll talk more Buffalo Bandits. We'll talk Buffalo Sabres kicking off the season. Week seven of fantasy football, which is unbelievable. It's already going to be week seven next week. And Buffalo taking on the Giants Sunday night football. Another late night for me, and then I got to go to work on Monday. But let's uh, let's fingers crossed they can get back to four and two. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Buffalo Sports Collective and at Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye-bye.